to be looking at Luke chapter 1 this morning. <clears throat> it's on page 969. <clears throat> I'm actually going to read a little bit more than is on the screen. So if you've once found the passage, I'm going to read from verse 39 right the way down to verse 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. You might want to keep that Bible passage open because we will be referring to it as we go through. Let's pray again, shall we, as we come and open God's word to us. Lord, we thank you for these amazing words. Thank you for Mary's faith. Thank you for her obedience. We just pray now that as we look at this together, you can inspire us from it. We ask it in your name. Amen. Anyone finished their Christmas shopping? Two brave people over. Oh, a few, few hands, few hands going up. Who's been into their Christmas, into the shops recently? Yeah, quite a few more people. One thing I think you can't ex- escape at this time of year is Christmas music when you go into shops. Started to be played on the 1st of November. We went around Warrington, I think it was, um, a couple of weeks ago. And these are the songs that we heard. I wish it could be Christmas every day. I always think, really? (laughs) Or this next one, Santa Claus is coming to town? No, afraid he's not. (laughs) Sorry, did I? We've got any children in here? (laughs) Or this one. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. I don't think I did, but never mind. Or perhaps this one is one of your favourite ones. You can just sit back. If you're over a certain age, you have to be older than me. You may remember this. Are you
enough for that, thank you. <laughs> but Christmas is a time of singing, isn't it? Look to the future. It's only just begun. And we have all these songs. Some of the songs that are sung have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. We sing songs about chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Not really a lot to do with the nativity. But singing at its best, a song reveals the heart, doesn't it? A song reveals what the songwriter is trying to say. You know, Christians have always sung. Christians have been a singing people for 2,000 years. Without fail, without exception, the church has sung. And it can be traced even further back than that. If you go into the Old Testament, the Psalms are effectively the hymn book of the Old Testament. People would sing, they would praise God, they would worship God through song. They would lament before God. They would plead before God in song. The reading that we've just read from our Bibles is one of five songs that we find in the early part of Luke's Gospel. These are five songs that take place around the birth of Jesus. The first one we also read, which is Elizabeth's very short song in verses 42 to 45. We then get Mary's song that we're going to unpack this morning. You then get Zechariah's song. Then there's the song of the angels when they sing glory to God. And then you get the final song, Simeon's song, where Jesus is dedicated in the temple. What Luke does in his gospel is he starts his gospel in a really detailed way. He wants us to know exactly what is going on when Jesus is born. And first of all, we get all this foretelling about not the birth of Jesus, but about the birth of John the Baptist. And then we have um, the the accounts of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth becoming pregnant in their old age. We then get the angels come and visit Mary with those announcements, the announcements that Jesus is going to be born. That the Messiah, the one that God has promised for thousands of years, is going to come into the world. Because, you know, Israel was a nation that was very much in waiting. God had promised he would send someone. But they were waiting and waiting and waiting. It had been 400 years since God had spoken. Now, I don't know how you would feel if you were Mary. If God has been silent for 400 years, since the prophet Malachi finished his, his um, prophecies, God had not said anything. Suddenly, an angel turns up. How would you feel? Freaked out, yeah. I think that would be quite the way I would feel. Mary says she feels troubled. You can read this further back. She questions, but she doesn't stay there. By chapter 1, verse 38, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Mary is a person of incredible, incredible faith. So as we go through this passage, we get verse 39 to 44. We get Mary visits Elizabeth. We have the beautiful tenderness of their greeting. We get a bit of Elizabeth's song in verse 42. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. And in response to Elizabeth's song, we get Mary's song. We get these incredible words of praise, of dependency on God, and of looking to the future. And so I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the song that is on your heart as we approach Christmas? What are you singing about deep inside? If you had to write a song this morning, what would it be about? Would it be about praise to God? Or would it perhaps be a bit of a consumerist song that you actually cannot wait to get into Warrington to spend your money? You can receive prayer ministry if that's you. (laughs) 
Or perhaps you've got a partying song going on inside you. You just can't wait to get to all these parties and drink so much and eat so much or whatever it is. And that's actually what's going on inside you. Or perhaps actually inside of you is something far sadder. Perhaps it's Christmas time. Actually, you're lamenting or you've got a song of sorrow that is weighing you down because this is a difficult time of year. So what is your song? What is going on deep inside of you? We'll keep coming back to that, but start asking yourself that question. Well, Mary starts her song off, and the first thing we find is it's a song from the heart. Luke's gospel up to this point has been all go. It's all action. You know, God hasn't spoken for 400 years, and suddenly he bursts into human experience, and all these things start to happen. And then suddenly, it's as if Luke says, let's press the pause button, and let's go and have a listen to this young girl singing a song. Let's hear how she reflects on what God is doing. Because God in Christ, the Word made flesh, as John's Gospel puts it, is coming to dwell, coming to live amongst us as human beings. And from this point, everything, absolutely everything, is going to change. Mary sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. When she start with her praise? Well, she doesn't start with just some strange, abstract notion of God. She doesn't start in some sort of weird place. She starts here. She starts with a heart response to God. She says, my soul, my saviour. Personal. She has a relationship with God. My soul, my saviour. She starts to sing about what God has done. It's as if she's looking around and she's saying, wow, I can see that God has stepped in. I can see that God is moving. I'm going to praise because of that. Verse 48, it says, from now on, All generations will call me blessed. She acknowledges who God is, and she praises God for what he's done. It's a praise that comes from the heart. Second thing, it's a song of God's faithfulness. Apologies if I've told this story before, but I'm going to tell it again because it sort of works. Um, A few months ago, me and Claire were in a restaurant. We're in a Turkish restaurant in Stockton Heath. We'd gone in at lunchtime because it's cheap, and... We were sat there in this enormous restaurant, probably twice the size of this room, by ourselves. Nobody else in there at all. We were sat in one corner, and the food came, and the food was quite nice, and we were chatting, we were talking about life and everything, and just engrossed in our conversation, because I'm such an enthralling company, Claire has no option. (laughs) And so we were there, we were chatting away to one another, and every now and again, we said, can you smell burning? And we was like, yeah, I can smell burning. Didn't think anything more of it. There was nobody else around, so there didn't seem any immediate concern. And still the smell of burning. We ate our meal. We paid. I got up, got my coat off the back of the chair to find out it was on fire. <laughs> what had happened was my coat had been sat on a halogen lamp behind the chair that was shining up the wall to make it look decorative, and somebody had put the wrong voltage bulb in. This bulb had got incredibly hot and was starting to melt my coat. And there was smoke just billowing up merrily from the back of my coat. You know, sometimes we can get so focused in on what we're doing, on our own individual conversations, on our own little bit of life, that we forget to look at anything else. Things can be burning, literally, round about us, and we don't even notice. See, what Mary does here, she starts with her heart. She starts with her own experience, but she's not going to leave it there. 
Her praise isn't just restricted to that thing that God has done in the immediate here and now. She sees that even though she is going to give birth to the Messiah, it's only one piece of a jigsaw. God has done incredibly more stuff than she is ever going to imagine. Look at verse 50. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. What she's doing here is looking back over the history of her people, the people of Israel, and saying, you know, God has done amazing things. God has been our rescuer. God has been our deliverer. God is our creator. God is all this, and therefore I can praise him. And she's doing, in a sense, what the psalmists would often do in the Old Testament. I don't know if you know this psalm, Psalm 136. I'm just going to read three verses from it. It says, To him who who alone does great wonders, his love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, his love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters, his love endures forever. I don't know if you know that psalm, but it carries on and it starts talking about how God has saved Israel as a people. It starts to talk very specifically about the things that God has done. And what Mary is picking up here is this kind of praise. Praise that, yes, it's about her heart, but praise that looks at the whole of God's faithfulness to his people. What's your song? What's the soundtrack of your heart? What's going on deep inside? Is it, is it looking out at God's faithfulness? Or is it just restricted to your own little bit of experience? You know, for you today, you may be looking for the next two, three weeks and thinking, it's a great time of year. Absolutely love it. Loads of great things, great people to see. But for a lot of us, Christmas is probably not a great time. It may be a time where actually the parties and the presents get put on the back burner. And in fact, it's a time of deep loneliness or a time of deep sorrow, or a time of just remembering things that have been. Or it may be just that we go on Facebook and continually think that everybody else is having a better time than we are. And we feel like that 2P. We start to feel worthless. So easy to do it. It's also a time of stress. You know, Christmas, although it happens every year, is in one of the top, I think it's 20 stressful events in life. If you put them cumulatively together, it'd probably be at the top. It's stressful. Apparently, the stress of Christmas peaks at 12.56 on Christmas Day, and it's normally to do with a turkey-related issue. (laughs) But sometimes it's tempting for our song, our soundtrack, to focus on the negative, to forget to look beyond our own experience. It just reminded me, thinking about this over the last couple of weeks, that at this point, Mary is a young girl. She may only be 12, 13, 14. We, We don't know, but she'd be very young. She's engaged. She's got a fiancé. He's called Joseph. Now, God graciously tells Joseph what's going on. You can read about that in Matthew. But not everybody else knows what's going on. I would imagine if I had a teenage daughter and they came home and said to me, Dad, I'm pregnant. It's a virgin birth and I'm giving birth to the Son of God. I might find it a little bit difficult to take in. might be a little bit difficult to believe. That's Mary's situation here. She could easily focus on those things that were difficult. But what does she do? Instead, she chooses to put her experience into God's bigger picture and says, God, you are faithful. You know, I'm constantly being challenged um, as I read the Bible and as I pray. Is my view of God big enough? I don't know whether you find that. 
Now, ultimately, it will never be big enough. You know, my brain isn't big enough to, to cope with understanding fully who God is. But do we have that view of God? Do we have that view of God that he is faithful? He always has been and he always will be. He's faithful in the past and because of that, he can be faithful in the future. The next thing we see Mary doing is talking about a song of eternity. I think a lot of you will know that we've got two boys. One is aged eight, the other is aged 11. And if any of you have any contact with kids of that sort of age group, you'll know that this time of year can be quite a challenge. And if you're a school teacher at the moment, particularly in primary schools, you know, we will pray for you. Because I think there's a lot of stress, isn't there? Kids get really hyped up, particularly our younger one gets really hyped up about what's coming up. And he's been doing his Christmas um, concert rehearsals for the last three or four weeks. We started doing them in church. It's it's on the horizon. Christmas gets on the horizon. The other morning, he came and sat on the end of our bed. I'd just woken up, and he comes in, he sits on the end of the bed, and he says, Dad. And I say, yes. You know, it's one of those great conversations. (laughs) And he just turns to me and says, you know, and he's not quoting from another song, by the way. He says, I wish I could have those Christmassy feelings every day. I wish I could have those Christmassy feelings every day. Basically, what he means is he wants lots of presents every day. But actually, I do wonder if there's something a little bit deeper, even in the heart of an eight-year-old. They see the world as it is, and they think, actually, it shouldn't be like this. Can't it just always be like Christmas morning? C.S. Lewis talks about the human heart, and he talks about the human condition. And he talks about how, as human beings, we have something within us that he calls the inconsolable longing. The inconsolable longing. That we look at the world and we see it and we say, this isn't how it should be. This isn't what we were made for. We shouldn't be living in a world that is full of death and pain and sorrow and suffering. Now you get the counter-argument would come back, you know, from Richard Dawkins and the, and the like. He would say, actually, all you're doing, C.S. Lewis, is ascribing values to the world that don't exist. That actually, as humanity, we just need to grow up and dismiss all this idea that the world could be better than it is. But, you know, we still see the pain. We see the heartache. We see the death. And I would defy any person, you know, Christian, atheist, agnostic, whatever, to say, actually, we don't want a better world. We don't want something different than there is. I don't know many people who can just shrug their shoulders and say, well, suffering in the world, so what? It's all a construct. It doesn't matter anyway. This inconsolable longing. Could it not just be Christmas every day? Actually, what I believe that inconsolable longing is, is the longing for God himself. The longing for God. The longing for that relationship with God that was lost when sin broke into human experience right back at the beginning of Genesis. The hope and the longing for a world that is set free from sin and from pain. You know, that inconsolable longing that is in the human heart, lots of people will try and fill it this Christmas. Some people will fill it by spending vast amounts of money on things they never need. Other people will fill it by literally filling themselves with vast amounts of food and drink. Other people will try out all kinds of other things like drug or casual sex or whatever it is. But actually what Mary says here is there is something far, far better. Because Jesus is coming. Jesus has come and hope has broken in to human experience. God is a baby, the light of the world shining in the darkness. 
As I look at verse 52 to 55, Mary's song moves forward. Now, you may look at this and think, hold on a minute. Have you prepared the right message here? Because this is all about he has. Three times Mary says, he has. Now, if I say he has done something, it's normally a past tense, isn't it? I don't say he has about something that's going to happen. But what Mary is doing here is picking up on what the Old Testament prophets often do. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, if God has said something, it will happen. And so they just change tense regularly. They will talk about things in the past that actually apply to the future. So you can talk about what God has done or is going to do and use whatever tense you want because our tenses are irrelevant to God. Does that make sense? So she's looking forward at this point. She starts to talk about what God is doing, about what will happen as the kingdom of God through Jesus is announced, the coming of God's rule and reign. That like a mustard seed starts off small, but then blossoms and grows and grows. And these verses are incredibly revolutionary. Now, it's not political revolution. We're not talking about a Brexit. We're not talking about a Trump Mark II. We're not even talking about an Italian referendum. Nor are we talking about a nicer world where everybody gives a little bit more to charity. We're talking about the coming of the rule and the reign of God where the poor are the ones who are blessed, and where the meek inherit the earth. You know, the Christian hope is not just about what happens after death, although it obviously includes that. It's about God. It's about his purposes happening today. You know, eternity starts in our heart when we say yes to Jesus. Eternity starts for us when we say yes to Jesus' call to follow him. And out of that knowing him, we are called to live out these kind of priorities that Mary talks about. About caring for the poor, for the needy, speaking up for the vulnerable and the oppressed, to look beyond ourselves, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Next Sunday night, it'll be our carol service, and I think we're going to be singing, we'll probably sing it every year, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It has in it the words, the hope and fears of all the years. I met in thee tonight. All our longing, that inconsolable longing of the human heart, all our hunger, all our desire for God are met totally and fully in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, Advent is a time, we've lit our Advent candles this morning, and Advent is a time when we are looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. But it's more than that. Traditionally, it's a time when the church has looked forward not only to the first coming, but look forward in anticipation for when Jesus comes again in glory. When all God's plans and purposes through Jesus are fulfilled. Now, I don't know where your life is up to today. I don't know whether you're in a good place, whether everything is wonderful, whether you're in a sort of mediocre place, or whether actually your life is full of sorrow and pain at the moment. But what I do know is that Mary invites us here to have a different song in our heart. To have a song that isn't just focused on the immediate, but that looks to God's great eternal plan. We're filled with hope because God has stepped in. The baby that that Mary would give birth to is Jesus, the saviour of the world. Jesus who would come, who would live a perfect life. Jesus, who through no fault of his own would end up on Calvary's tree, dying for the sins of the world. Jesus, who would rise again in glory. 
Jesus who has ascended to his Father's side and Jesus who is going to return one day in glory. This is the Jesus who calls us today to follow him, to say yes to him. We had breakfast in Bethlehem here last week and we did a nativity with some of the younger children and um, at the start of that nativity, we didn't start with the angels or the shepherds or anything, but we started with a verse from the Bible, a very well-known verse, John 3, verse 16, where it simply says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That song of eternity when we believe in Jesus. One of my favorite verses, I think, in the whole of the New Testament is Revelation 21, verse 4, where it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Words of incredible hope, a change of song because of what Jesus has done. Verse 55, back in the Luke passage, Mary uses two words, forever, forever. See, what God is doing in Jesus is not temporary. It's not like a song that was written in 1973 that is probably well past its sell-by day. The song that is offered to us this morning is a song that is as new now as when it was first announced and will remain new forever. The song of God's eternity. So just to round up, Mary sings from the heart. Praise has to be personal. We can't be people of praise unless we have that relationship with Jesus. If today you're thinking, actually, I don't have that, I'd love to chat to you about what that means, about what it means to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Mary sings about God's faithfulness. She um, places her life experience into the whole sweep of what God is doing in history. And then Mary has a song that takes her forward. Now, I asked you at the beginning, what's your soundtrack? What's your song? What are you singing deep inside as we approach Christmas? Do we have a song like Mary? Do we have a song that is our own, but is rooted in God's faithfulness and looks forward to God's future? You see, if we have, we can join in with Mary this morning when we say, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, I want to pray that this song of Mary will take root in our hearts this Christmas time. I want to pray perhaps for those of us who are struggling at the moment. Lord, would you place in us once again that that hope of eternity, that, that song that goes on and on forever. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness and your greatness. In Jesus' name, amen.